Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Playing Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Roy Taylor. He is with White Eagle Arts, Entertainment and Media out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. He is a stage, film, commercial actor, a performance storyteller, a voiceover narrator, a spoken word artist, a moderator, a host, a radio broadcast journalist, a public speaker, a presenter, a spokesperson, a representative, an advocate. He's a humorist, a comedian, a playwright, and a screenwriter. He's, he's everything. He's a lot of things. He is absolutely fantastic. He's host of Indigenous Rising, a radio show out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, we have show notes. We have... Uh, we have the links in the show notes, so you got to check out uh, his production. It is, it is something worth listening to. He has over 25 years' experience in public, nonprofit, government work at the local, national, and global level. He's a graduate of the Great University of Oklahoma. He's married with two adult children and two school age grandchildren. A really wonderful and amazing family. But before I get ahead of myself, let's jump into this interview. Roy Taylor, thank you so much for joining us at Five Playing Questions. It's really great to have you here today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Joe. It's great to uh, be with you as well and to get a chance to visit with you after having. It's been a while since we've had a chance to talk and to uh, to be together as well. So thank you for inviting me on. Oh, no, I'm, I'm absolutely, absolutely my pleasure. Um, so let's, um, let's jump into it. Uh, would you be able to introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about your background? Oh, sure. I'd be glad to. Uh, first of all, let me just say, Adios, Devawa, Shariks, Shariks, Kiri, Puhuxetat, Betulisaru, Retustaka. And uh, that was just a brief way of saying in the Pawnee language, which is my dad's people, uh, uh, convening the, uh, the Great Spirit to be with us in this conversation and to introduce myself. Um, through my lineage. So I was just telling you a little bit about uh, the Pawnee people, otherwise known as the Men of Men. And my band is the Skeedy or the Wolf Band. And the clan is the Pumpkin Vine Clan. And my family line uh, goes all the way back to one of the great chiefs of the Pawnee Nation, Pietro de Sado. And of course, my great great grandfather uh, translated as White Eagle. So. Uh, the Pawnee people were originally from what we now call the state of Nebraska, and uh, they've since relocated to Indian Territory or Oklahoma. And on my mother's side, I am a uh, Choctaw, and uh, they were originally in Mississippi, and uh, they were also removed to, they were one of the five tribes, called, so-called uh, five civilized tribes, from the eastern woodlands part of Turtle Island. And uh, they were moved to southeastern Oklahoma. So I kind of come from uh, two ends of uh, Turtle Island and uh, maybe on the emotional and political spectrum. I always like to joke that I'm half civilized as well since I'm Choctaw. But I'm enrolled in the Pawnee Nation in north central Oklahoma and have been for a while. So are all my children as well. I'm a dad and a grandfather. Uh, I have two adult children. Um, and they both reside here in the Twin Cities. That's where I'm at, 
uh, talking to you from also married, uh, have been married for, when I sometimes say a quarter of a century, my wife says, oh, it's 26 years. You need to tell them that. <laughs> Don't forget that last year <laughs> as well. And then, as I said, uh, have uh, two grandchildren, a boy and a girl. So, and I know uh, you remember that day, I think going on almost 10 years ago now that you were a groomsman, uh, longtime friend with our son-in-law, Tom. And so that's where we first got acquainted. So we've uh, tried to keep up that, uh, that communication, although it's been difficult. I know you're just up the road in Fargo and we're down here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, but uh, again, it's, it's great to be here. And um, so that's, you know, that's who I am. I can tell you a little bit more about my professional educational background, a little bit more about my family and uh, I guess uh, personal experience uh, throughout the years, throughout the decades. Uh, but I'll, I'll just end uh, that introduction with that. Okay. Well, no, that's great. Thank you. Um, I, I think for our listener, uh, I just wanted to state that you have a, a radio show. You're a broadcaster out of Minneapolis. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. And uh, it's, it's actually something that I kind of fell into. Um, I think, you know, a lot of us in uh, Indian country in Native America, uh, we sometimes say that, well, nothing happens just because it happens. I mean, there may be a purpose or a reason for it. So maybe the creator had this uh, in mind for me uh, all along uh, to not necessarily go back and, and bore everyone with the details of when I was uh, younger, but I did think that I wanted to go into journalism, broadcast journalism. Didn't know if it was going to be necessarily hard news or whether it was going to be uh, documentary filmmaking. And I saw, you know, the costs associated with that, pursuing that as a study in college, and then later uh, as an independent uh, journalist. Uh, there were a lot of these uh, organizations that exist today that weren't around in those days, so the support wasn't necessarily there, at least on a uh, tribal or societal basis. And uh, so it's ironic that uh, almost oh, 25 years later that I wound up back in radio journalism. When I first came to Minnesota almost uh, four decades ago, that was from Oklahoma, uh, I met a, a woman who was Seneca from Western New York. And she and I became, became great friends. She later became a, a mentor to me, an advocate for me in this field. Her name was Laura Waterman Woodstock. And as I said, she was Seneca. She passed uh, away about a year ago as well. She lived a, a good long life and uh, she was a friend and as I say, mentor to many different young native journalists here in the Twin Cities, but also in Washington DC and throughout the rest of the country. But I had been doing about 20, 25 years of uh, public policy work, lobbying, uh, political and policy analysis, representing uh, individual interests over at uh, the state capitol in St. Paul and to a lesser extent in Washington, D.C. And then uh, around the turn of the, the last millennia, the last century, I was doing international work, very, very similar, but looking at uh, environmental policy. And I happened to be on a respite here at home and I uh, ran into Laura. And she asked me if I would like to come on her radio program at a local community station here and talk about what was going on at the state level, at the local level, affecting Native Americans. And I said, sure. And before I knew it, within a couple of months, she was asking me if I wanted to be a co-host with her. 
And so that was about uh, six years ago. And then uh, fast forward two years later, uh, she was retiring from our 24 hour schedule here at KFBI Fresh Air Radio. And uh, so I put my, uh, my bid in for a, what I refer to as a global indigenous peoples and native American radio program. At the time, I kind of didn't know exactly what I was going to be looking at. And so many events have happened since then that have really kind of dictated in some ways what the program is about today. It's kind of morphed into half public policy and then half culture and arts. So that's that's the program you're referring to, Indigeneity Rising. It's heard uh, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Daylight Time, soon to be Central Standard Time uh, here in the U.S. And that's uh, KFBI Fresh Air Community Radio, 90.3 FM HD in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And it's also streaming live on the web at kfbi.org. Uh, every program is archived up to two weeks there. So people can listen to it if they don't catch it the first time around when it's uh, live uh, on Wednesdays at one o'clock. Well, it's great and to hear I, that. I've been doing that for about four years. Yeah. For four years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to hear that. At the end of the... At the end of our, our program here, let's uh, we'll come back to that and remind the, the listener sure. um, so they can catch sure. that. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about your influences, um, past influences and current influences? Yeah, you know, I was trying to uh, give some, I can give some thought to that. Um, and uh, maybe even more the present or maybe the, the future, I think, uh, is probably more important. But in the past, I know certainly my parents, um, you know, I came from a family that was uh, uh, it was intact, but it was it was always at risk, I think, because of poverty, because of the residential boarding school experience of my parents, uh, because of uh, alcoholism, uh, certainly, you know, prejudice and discrimination at the time that my parents were trying to make their way as young adults and young parents. So um, even though they were both from uh, Oklahoma, uh, they wound up uh, going on a program that maybe you're familiar with and some of the other listeners might be familiar with called the relocation program of the early 50s to, I think it extended all the way through the early 60s or mid 60s, 1960s. And uh, so they wound up first in San Francisco, California, and then later in Los Angeles, California. So even though I was born in Oklahoma City, uh, I spent most of my formative years in this huge uh, metropolis. And uh, I can tell you, that uh, in the state of Oklahoma, there's only one real reservation left or recognizable reservation similar to what you might find here in the Midwest or out in the Southwest or other parts of of the country. Uh, The rest of the uh, communal lands that that were held in trust for the different tribal nations are pretty much broken up now into sometimes what they refer to as a checkerboard pattern or individual uh, pieces of land uh, that only families own. And so they're, you know, they're cut off from tribal control. And uh, so that's uh, most of the native population in Oklahoma resides in the two metropolitan areas, Tulsa in the Northeast and Oklahoma City in the uh, central part of the state. So that's the environment in which my parents came out of. And uh, they relocated us to uh, uh, San Francisco first and then to Los Angeles. And my brother was actually, my younger brother was actually born in San Francisco. 
and uh, he always used to hold that over us that he wasn't an Okie. He was <laughs> he was a he was a, a golden bear, I guess, if you want to call it that. But that's where we grew up until I was about twelve or thirteen years old. Then we re relocated back to uh, Oklahoma City, and then I've been up here in Minnesota uh, after graduating from college and coming up here to go to law school at the University of Minnesota. And I've been here for about forty years or now. So I would say, obviously, my parents have been a big influence on my life, even though my mother is now deceased. She's been uh, dead for about 15 years. And uh, I was trying to think, you know, a lot of people refer to maybe uh, an instructor or maybe a family member or an advisor uh, in their family or in their experience as, as a big influence. But, uh, you know, I, I think about... Uh, there were several teachers. I know there was at least one teacher in high school who encouraged me to go on to college, which I hadn't really been thinking about. Uh, there have been uh, others along the way. I mentioned Laura Waterman Whitstock, who gave me my first job here in Minnesota, and then gave me this opportunity to come back to uh, uh, radio or broadcasting as well. So I would say those are some real pivotal people. I hope I haven't uh, forgotten anybody or, or left anybody out or given them their their appropriate uh, credit. I know there were, there's some individuals here that have assisted me in a lot of the work I've done. Um, I was a, a liaison to the mayor and the city council of Minneapolis for a while. I uh, worked on the staff of, a, uh, of the congressman from the district here in Minneapolis, US Congress. And uh, so, you know, I've, I've made my way in politics and government for a long time. And there have been some individuals uh, uh, a fellow by the name of John Poupart, who is from Lac de Flambeau in northern Wisconsin, uh, Anishinaabe. And so he's been a good friend over the years. And then, of course, uh, certainly my wife, who's been very supportive, Catherine. Uh, she's uh, been very helpful in so many different ways and very supportive as well. But, you know, for these influences, I, I do think of my these younger generations. Uh, so the people that are in my son and my my daughter's generation, and now even the uh, my grandchildren. When we talk about, oftentimes in a pan-Indian sense, about we you know we are always focused on seven, seven generations previously and seven generations into the future. I mean that's becoming real for me because I'm now at least uh, impacted by those first two of those uh, seven generations into the future. So I'm I'm always thinking about you know what's best for them personally and in our family setting, but also. Um, as a native person and as a, as an elder now in the community, what is it that I can do or say that will be positive uh, and positive impact upon them because it gets replicated for so many other individuals and families that are out there as well within the native community uh, here in Minnesota and then and even further beyond. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to your, <laughs> to your question, but uh, that's uh, I think some of my thinking here. No, long, long-winded answers are encouraged uh, on this, <laughs> this podcast. Um, yeah. So, how about um, your career? Uh, how has that developed? Uh, college, post-college, as well. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I know we want to talk about uh, careers, uh, formal education, and the like, but um, I think I'd have to take it back uh, even just one step before that. Uh, my dad had been a tribal employee, then he later became a tribal uh, official for his, for his nation. 
And uh, so I was always around politics and ideas and service, uh, notions of trying to do what's right for the people or you know, the, the tribe. And so that was very influential for me in eventually choosing the path that I, that I took. As I said, you know, I wanted to be a, a journalist, a communicator, um, and I look back now and I kind of think about in some ways, maybe an artist as well. Uh, but it was politics and government that uh, really had its hold on me because I think of his work, uh, him bringing that home every, every evening and talking about it at the supper table. And uh, it just held a fascination for me. So when I had the opportunity to go to college, you know, I was taking a lot of uh, classes, like so many people. And um, uh, what I did, though, was I, I started thinking in terms of choosing courses that were going to best help me to be the best writer, the best speaker, uh, the best thinker as well. So I challenged myself. And while I didn't always do the best in terms of grades, um, uh, because I hadn't had a real good preparation in high school at, at this time, uh, there was still a, quite a bit of rampant, I would say, ra uh, racism, uh, prejudice, discrimination. So you really had to look for those uh, non-native teachers, advisors who were, uh, could, could be uh, uh, of assistance to you, support to you. And uh, so my high school record wasn't really all that stellar. And, you know, I would encourage uh, young Native people today, you know, if they can take those classes in preparation for later life. Uh, I mean, you know, the joke is that when you're taking high school algebra, you say to yourself, well, when am I ever going to use this in the future? Well, I'm, I'm living proof that, yes, there's times when you might have to use algebra or at least the critical thinking skill that it, that it requires of you. And so if you can get that as a foundation in high school, or secondary school that that'll serve you just even that much better you know that's not um, to downplay the role of traditional education within our native societies as well i mean that's always important for a young person to be grounded uh, with their language with their culture with their history with the religion that their particular nation or tribe adheres to because that's going to be the balance then that and that's in some ways is going to to help prepare you and protect you when you are in these non-native settings. You, you, for example, you've known that uh, with your service in the military, which is a very, at times, trying and um, uh, you know, difficult uh, experience. And so it's only through these being grounded as uh, not necessarily all of us as traditional people, but also uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that are presented to us and uh, that will serve us well in, in the future. So that's what I tried to do in college. And I had the opportunity to take the law school admissions test. And I, uh, I, did, I scored just well enough to get admitted to the University of Minnesota. And so that's, that was something that my dad had always wanted uh, was to have a professional person in the family. And while I wasn't totally uh, on board with it, I saw it as an opportunity to get out and see the world. Um, and uh, I, I did think about the military at, at one point, uh, but this opportunity, because it was all paid for, seemed to be uh, more suited for me. And then I, I relocated to Minnesota and, uh, and I stuck with it for about a semester. And then I realized, no, I don't, I don't want to be a lawyer. That's not exactly what I was, 
was hoping to do. Uh, but the point is that I, I got to that uh, realization because I had taken those steps to try and prepare for it. And that's what my whole life has been about. I've been a lifelong learner. I, I still take classes today. I still look for ways to improve myself professionally and now personally as well. And then uh, even artistically, which I can talk about uh, in a few moments. But uh, that was the beginning. That was the beginning point. And um, so now here I am, you know, 40 years later, and I'm, uh, uh, like I say, an elder, uh, have some experience, hopefully a little wisdom along with that, and now embarking on different, uh, different enterprises for me, the radio broadcasting, and now into arts and entertainment as well. Yeah, uh, that, that brings us right into the next question about opportunities. Um, how have opportunities presented themselves uh, to you? Oh, that, you know, that's a real excellent question because um, so oftentimes uh, there's, an, again, an old joke about, you know, an opportunity will present itself to you and you don't even realize it, you know, about uh, uh, a flood happening and uh, 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 a person is stranded uh, and the water's rising and uh, all of a sudden a, uh, a uh, log floats by and uh, the person refuses to go after it uh, to save themselves, then it's a life preserver that floats by. Uh, then it's a, a lifeboat, an actual like rowboat that floats by and the person refuses to go, <laughs> to go after it. And finally the person uh, drowns because the water's too high when they get to so-called heaven, they ask the creator, uh, well, you know, I prayed to you, and I believed in you, and uh, yet I still died, and you didn't lend a hand to help me. And the creator's response is, well, you dummy, you know, I sent you a log, I sent you a, a boat, and I sent you a life preserver, and those were opportunities, but you didn't, you didn't see them. So, um, you know, those, that's, the, those are kind of examples of what I think a young person has to be aware of and looks for. Sometimes it's not always you know, the best money or the best job or uh, even the best looking person, <laughs> you know, uh, we're all kind of, when we think in terms of life partners, you know, we may be thinking uh, of uh, the prettiest person, the handsomest person, the one that makes us laugh. And yet the, the person who's going to be best for us will be not only embody some of that, but also, uh, you know, be that supportive help uh, when the, when the bad times happen as well. And so, you know, those, there's those kind of opportunities personally, but uh, professionally, as I was saying, you know, Laura uh, Whitstock asked me just to sit in as a co-host for her for a while. And that eventually became this uh, pretty much full-time gig with uh, the uh, radio station, KFAI. But in the process of that, um, we had a guest on a very well-known young woman. She's Danae Navajo. And she's been up here in the in the upper Midwest for a while now. She was a guest on the program. And after the program was over with, uh, she was representing uh, something called New Native Theater, which she had been involved in getting established. And it's basically an acting troupe, a playwriting uh, effort on for Native Americans. And I, I told her, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in using my voice whatever way I can, because people have told me in the past that I have a good voice, whether it's for radio or uh, voiceover work or anything like that. I said, so just let me know if you need any kind of offstage narration or something like that. And she said, okay, well, within a few weeks, she invited me to audition for 
uh, a role in a play and I had never acted before. I didn't have any formal training. And, but I, I took her up on it. And so I went to the audition, didn't really know what I was doing. And uh, she didn't cast me. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, well, that's the end of my acting career. And uh, it wasn't, but, uh, oh, I think maybe a few, few months later, she's, uh, she called me up in, again and said, I've got, a, I've got a role for you. It's pretty simple. I think you can handle it. So they had already cast me. They, they did, I didn't need to audition. And I took that role. It was for a 10-minute play as part of their national uh, play festival. And uh, that was, uh, oh, going on uh, four years ago, five years ago. And uh, I've been doing acting ever since. I, you know, I kind of thought at the time, all you need to do is memorize your lines and uh, know when your cue is and where you're supposed to stand. And that was acting. That was all you needed to do. And it's since then, like I said, I've continued this process of self-educating, taking a lot of classes. I've had to really put myself out there. Uh, one of my first uh, mentors in acting, someone who was actually younger than me said, you know, if you want to be an actor and you want to be good at it, you've got to be okay with making a fool of yourself. You've got to be okay with people laughing at you um, and uh, you realizing that maybe you're not quite up to uh, the standards. And he said, and if you can do that, then, you know, then you're on your first steps towards becoming an actor. And I've always thought that was wise wise advice it may be applicable for any pursuit including in radio or uh, podcasting so we're all we all make mistakes uh, we were joking about that off the air earlier about uh, uh, dead air <laughs> many a times and in the live broadcast I've been involved in we've had dead air going and I've had to solve a problem and get back on and just apologize to the audience for that but um, <laughs> So I've been, I've been doing this acting for a little while and I'm starting to get, I think, the hang of it. I realize now it's not just memorizing your lines and knowing when to, when to say them. And so I've been in some productions around town. And again, that's one of those examples where I've taken a few classes in Shakespeare's diction and people might say, well, why do you as a Native American need to know how a, a bald old white man almost 400 years ago who wrote in a uh, archaic style of English, uh, you would want to know that or need that. And yet there's many opportunities. And really the stories that he was writing are still applicable, I think, for us as Native Americans today. I mean, we still all have those emotions. We still have those experiences, those setbacks, but also those, those triumphs. So, you know, I take classes in that. I've taken classes in comedy. I'm getting ready to embark on some... Uh, some singing, even some dancing lessons at my age, uh, because I don't want, I, there's many uh, roles that are out there. And if you can't sing or dance, then you're not going to get a chance to compete for them. So that that's just one life lesson, I guess, you know, I can share that uh, if you want to do something uh, enough and uh, you're motivated, you know, then go ahead and take that leap, take that risk and uh, put yourself out there and make, be ready to make a fool of yourself. <laughs> I think that's great. It's half of uh, what got me through starting this podcast is just putting myself out there and kind of making a fool out of myself sometimes, you know, <laughs> just not sure how it's going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. People don't see the, uh, people don't see the, uh, the mistakes that are made along the way. And, and yet, you know, here you have a polished uh, effort here. And I'm really glad to, to be on it and to, to take advantage of that. <laughs> well, thank you. I think, yeah, an important part is, um, keep going with it, right? I mean, we're 
second season. Um, I think we're 50 plus episodes in, 60 episodes in now. And oh you know, wow, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's more of um uh polished production now as opposed to you know the first couple episodes, which were still great conversations, absolutely great conversations. But um the I think there's a little bit of a knowledge base now on the technical side of how to put this uh really this absolutely. DIY project together. Right. Yeah. Right. So um I wanted to, to touch base a little bit on your artistic endeavors as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, you know, I did even back in college and I, I didn't have any interest necessarily in it as a, as a young person, you know, so many people today who are in acting for film or stage, uh, they know that that's something they want to do as early as maybe, uh, uh, pre-adolescence and so they begin to start training and working towards that and I think that's very true for uh, non-native uh, young people and so native people uh, adolescents uh, young adults uh, and and they are probably told you know this is not something that you can be successful at and then there's not many role models and uh, in the past, I mean, all I ever had to look to was, I think, uh, Jay Silverheels, who was uh, Onondaga from New York. He played Tonto in The Lone Ranger. And then there were others, but in very minor roles, not like the, the, the number of Native actors today, both uh, male and female, that you see in TV and uh, film. And, uh, you know, we're developing a, a, a I guess a good uh, presentation of uh, Native Americans, so not the stereotypes that we've seen in the past. So that's always been one obstacle, I think. And I, I think uh, we're seeing more writers and uh, directors and then eventually producers who are impacting the Native American representation. And there are some advocacy groups that, that are out there who are also trying to hold Hollywood and Broadway and wherever creativity is is occurring around uh, Native Americans. So there's that authenticity that we can see, whether it's from a reservation perspective or an urban perspective or a rural uh, experience of, of Native Americans and historical and uh, contemporary. So that's kind of the milieu that I've found myself in. And of course, then when we're talking about different roles, um, so many in the past have been historical roles with Indians on horseback shooting rifles, uh, uh, bows and arrows and all of that. And, but the character studies of Indian life or native life, uh, native families in particular, and then to some extent um, uh, comedy, uh, you know, we're always perceived as the stereotype of the very taciturn, uh, very stoic uh, persona. And yet, uh, you know, if you're in an Indian family or uh, in a household, <laughs> you know that there's a lot of levity, there's humor. Uh, sometimes it's at your own expense, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that. And so it's a, it's a balance, I think, that can be depicted uh, much in the way you see uh, Hispanic or Latino Americans or African Americans and Asian Americans with uh, some of the uh, outstanding uh, comedians or actors that that uh, are depicted on on film or on on stage. Now, my particular interest has been uh, on stage, and I can tell you why. 
uh, you know, film is a little, I've done a few films and it's a very different medium. I mean, it certainly is, is predicated on how you look, your appearance. So I'm certainly at this age and with my skills, not going to be that dashing uh, Native American love interest on horseback who's going to swoop in and uh, pick up the either the, the Indian maiden or the, the white uh, damsel in distress or anything like that. But uh, a lot of movies and TV, that's what they uh, focus on because it's looking at a different audience. Now with some of the streaming services, we're seeing more character-driven uh, productions. And so that's uh, where we have individuals who are uh, well-rounded, uh, the facet is, is more humane. Uh, you see that uh, Native people have some of the same interests and pursuits uh, as any other person uh, in life. But I find that more so in stage uh, productions. Uh, in fact, we can adapt stage productions, I think, to suit us. And I, I was talking about Shakespeare earlier. I've seen other uh, uh, productions, uh, Death of a Salesman. Um, Let's see, uh, not Hamlet. I'm just trying to think of uh, not Macbeth. Oh, King Lear. Uh, that was an all native production up in Canada. And I've been involved in one myself by Thornton Wilder called Our Town, which was about small life in back east in the United States around the turn of the, of the century. So uh, where I just played a, a dad who was getting ready to uh, see his daughter married off and start her, her own family. So I, I really gravitate towards stage productions. It's a little more demanding because you're responsible for a character throughout the whole run of the production, which could be an hour or more. So again, going back to some of those technical aspects of knowing your lines, knowing your cues or when, when to say them, knowing your movements on stage, and then being prepared to be able to react to all of your other uh, actor partners uh, on stage so that's something uh, spontaneous that happens and that that's when the real magic I think of acting happens is when you're really projecting something that seems uh, real or lifelike and some of the acting coaches I've had would, would say exactly that it's when reality is infused in that performance in that small amount of time on that small stage that uh, becomes a portal for the audience to be viewing a story. And that's when the people, the, the characters uh, come alive, the story takes meaning as well. So that's why a stage really appeals to me, maybe more so than uh, television or film because uh, you're, you're portraying a character there, but then it's, it's really the director and the editor's medium. They can take uh, what they have filmed, well, much like a podcast, I suppose, and then turn it into something or a radio drama uh, turn it into something that it's a very finished, polished uh, product. But on stage, you have to just let it all hang out and the mistakes may be made there and just uh, move on through with it. But that, that's the excitement and the, the, uh, uh, the interest that it, it holds for me as well. What would you say to the 18 or 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? Yeah, you know, I was... Uh, uh, thinking about that a little, and uh, so believe it or not, I'm I may be an elder at this point, but I'm still not that old that I can't remember what it was like to be 18 or 22 years old, and and I hope that the circumstances in life and society are a little better than I think what many of my generation were facing, where we weren't 
uh, there weren't many opportunities and we didn't have a lot of role models and we didn't have a lot of people necessarily encouraging us to take a risk, to take on a challenge. Uh, and that's, that's what I would say as a starting point is to look for those uh, individuals. And sometimes they're not always native uh, to, to uh, support you, to encourage you. And then secondly, uh, challenge yourself, take a risk. I know oftentimes it's not enjoyable. Uh, for example, taking on an assignment, maybe in class, that's going to require you to be focused uh, for several nights a week, for several weeks to get that assignment completed or working with other individuals, learning to play well in the sandbox, because that's going to wind up uh, becoming important for any kind of professional undertaking, uh, even outside of journalism or uh, arts and, and entertainment. And then I think uh, last, and probably this is <laughs> the most controversial, and I wanna make sure I say it correctly, but don't listen to anybody. And by that, I mean, don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. Don't let anybody tell you uh, you're doing it necessarily the wrong way. Um, you're going to find out in pursuing these opportunities what's best for you. Uh, for example, in acting, uh, there are so many individuals and they're pursuing it maybe for the wrong reasons, for fame or fortune or some, something that's missing in their own uh, personality. And I've, I've since found at my age, you know, I enjoy acting for the storytelling. I enjoy it for the camaraderie. I enjoy it for the contribution that I can make to, to, the, uh, uh, to the craft of acting and to the medium of uh, stage. And uh, people could tell me at my age, well, what are you going to do with it? I mean, you have only got a certain number of years that you can perform. And my opinion is, well, thank goodness, I've got several years more to perform. And maybe my roles or my opportunities are limited. But those opportunities that do come my way, I'm going to take, uh, take them and make the most of them. And I think that's what a young person uh, should also be thinking of. In fact, you, you, know, you may not stay in the particular role that you're preparing for right now or that profession for your whole lifetime. It may be multiple uh, opportunities, jobs, locations, uh, and even, and looking back, you may say, well, my profession was that I was a multi-purpose type of individual, uh, economist, teacher, uh, medicine, uh, military, education. It, it, it doesn't really matter what field you choose. You it may morph into, into something else. So that's why I say, don't let anybody tell you or convince you uh, that you can't do it uh, right now. Uh, you, you need to be focused on where you're going to be doing it in the future. Because yes, you may not have all the skills and the abilities right now, but you can acquire those. And if at some point in the future you, you find, okay, well, this is not as interesting or it's not as fulfilling as I thought it would be, you'll know at that point then maybe it's time to put that aside and to move on to, to something else in, uh, in life or in, uh, in uh, your profession or a job that you're, you're interested in. So those, those, I think those three lessons for sure would be, uh, would be something that I'd like to impart to, to young, particularly native uh, people. And then just you know, enjoy life. I know it's hard for us sometimes as people having come out of historical trauma 
that uh, we oftentimes let that overshadow us, overcome us. But I, and as I said earlier, but we are people of resilience. We are people of humor. We are people of uh, foresight. And so uh, let that foundation carry you a long ways during those times when it does become difficult or discouraging or seems like uh, maybe you can't see over over the, the next hill what your decision is, is going to be. Because I think that's so oftentimes then when we see some of the, the pathologies that, that occur in our native communities and uh, you know, perpetuating some of these difficulties uh, with uh, alcoholism, poverty, suicide. And so that's, I hope I can provide a, a more positive outlook for some of these young people. Enjoy it, that's, that's, that's what that uh, youth is, is for there. And there'll be plenty of time to take on uh, responsibilities and, and burdens. And uh, one more time for the listener, uh, where can they find you at um, on, on radio, on your show? Oh, sure. It's uh, called Indigeneity Rising, I-N-D-I-G-E-N-E-I-T-Y, which is kind of an emerging concept for sort of global native peoples. Indigeneity Rising, and it's at KFEI Fresh Air Community Radio here in Minneapolis and St. Paul. It's uh, If you're ever in the Twin Cities area on Wednesday afternoons, it, at one o'clock, it's uh, heard live at uh, 90.3 FM HD in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And then they can find it streaming uh, for up to two weeks at kfai.org. So that's uh, Indigeneity Rising. And then uh, people can look for me at uh, White Eagle Arts, Entertainment, and Media for some of the other pursuits that I'm involved in, acting, voiceover work, storytelling, and uh, spoken word uh, art artistry. We'll put links in our show notes for the viewer to, to find. Sure, so. sure. Roy, thank you so much for this. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time and uh, being on the show with us. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me on, Joe. It was great to be with you again, to kind of share some of these uh, thoughts with you as well, and, and my life. Hopefully it is uh, encouraging and uh, uh, I don't know if I want to say inspirational, but certainly uh, showing that, you know, even with though you may make mistakes in life, you can overcome them and still wind up living a very happy and fulfilled life. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Roy again for his time and sharing his story with us. Uh, Roy is someone that I've known for a number of years, and it's always fun to be able to connect with him and learn new things about him that I actually learned during this episode. So this was a lot of fun. So Roy, thank you again for your time and sharing your story with us. When you're done listening to this episode, I have an announcement to make, so uh, I want you to hear me out. But when you're done with all this, swing on over to Indigeny Rising. Um, uh, the, the link is in the show notes. And tune in and listen and to subscribe to the great work that they're doing over there. Technically, it sounds awesome. Uh, Content-wise, it is the top of the game, and it is absolutely worth listening to. So, uh, you know, finish up with this episode, give us a like, uh, support us, show us some love, and then go over there and give them the show them the love and everything too. I also wanted to acknowledge the technical issues we had with this episode. As we started recording, we had issues with the audio, we had to switch platforms, and I wasn't able to monitor my audio. So it's scratchy. It's not the best quality audio wise but the content's there and i'm super happy with this episode so i apologize for the the audio quality but um you know we'll get it right next time 
One last thing. Um, of course, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what's been a very important story and perspective from our community. And, you know, we're actually not going to have anyone next week uh, for a new episode of Types. But next week, we're coming back with an episode called Five Scary Questions. And we're bringing on a number of past guests and a couple special guests to share scary, strange, um, very frightening uh, stories and experiences that they have, they have felt. And so this is one that is not worth missing. Uh, you know, quite often with this series, you know, where we, we pay attention to culture and respect and the sort of, um, you know, uh, we, we take ourselves very seriously in a sense, but we can't take ourselves that seriously. And so this next week is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of spooky. It's actually really spooky um, and very curious. And so I'm, if you can't tell my voice, I'm really excited about next week's episode. So come in, tell a friend about about this, this series and have them come check out uh, next week's episode, Five Scary Questions, the Halloween edition. Uh, next week is Halloween 2021, and we're honoring uh, that with some, some scary stories. So I hope you really enjoy that. My name is Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook, or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please find us on Facebook and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. All right, that's it. Uh, We'll see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.